Good morning, church family. How are you today? Where did Peyton go? Peyton, Peyton, Peyton. Shorty left? Where? Peyton. 18 years old. One of our interns, Peyton, thank you. You do an incredible job. Incredible job. Bless, bless, your, bless your heart that you got to live with your dad. I'm so sorry about that, you know. I know he messes you up, but uh, anyway, um, at Heritage, a big part of who we are is not us performing for you, us setting a platform for us to be able to train up the next generation. And Peyton is one of those, and we're very thankful. Thank, thank you uh, very much. Uh, I need those glasses. What'd you do with them, Jamie? She did something with them. I need those glasses. Can I wear them for a second? I need to get some glasses because we got we to gotta make sure we get a, a, how many pair? A hundred pair of glasses. I can't see through those things. So like they're foggy or so I need to clean them off just a little bit. Um, but anyway, a hundred pairs of glasses. You guys feel like we can do that? Yeah. Pretty simple. Pretty simple to do that. But that's not all. There's all kinds of stuff that's going on during Love Week. We've been doing this now for a while. This isn't just a heritage thing, but it's part of what we call Blessed Fruitland Park. Blessed Fruitland Park, we started it years ago. We started Blessed Wildwood years ago before we moved here. That's still going. It's our opportunity to, to work together with the community, whether it be churches, businesses, our government, individuals, civic groups here within the community to make a difference. This is a push that we do every year. Uh, we've been doing it now for several years. It's an opportunity for us to be able to make a difference as we lock arms together and as we work within our community. We want to have an impact. There's a 5K race. There's all kinds of things. I told Mandy, where's Mandy Hanky at? Mandy, stand, stand up. Stand up. Come on, Hanky, just wave your arms or do something. Mandy, and Lori's not here today. I don't, I don't see her. I see some of the chest things over here, but not all of them. But Lori's not here. Mandy and Lori do what's called The Rock. Lori does Leesburg High School. Mandy's at Oak Park Middle School. Basically, they help meet the needs of students that are in need there on their school campuses. The Rock is going to be raising funding to help purchase sweaters and also shoes. Um, there's a specific needs at Oak Park. And so I think $10 is what we've said. If you want to give, you have the ability to give towards that. Let us know uh, if you want to donate. And what we want to do is not for you to go out and buy sweaters, but it, we can make your money go a whole lot further when we have those monies and we can, um, we can purchase them in bulk. So if you want to give to that, that's another opportunity. But there, you can find all that stuff on the website to get that information. What you can be involved in or on the back. Take, I can't say take a picture. I don't know how to explain that. Wave your camera over. That's all I know what to do. Scan it. Do something like that. But it'll tell you, give you all the information of what's going on, not only at Heritage, but it'll, it will uh, put you on to what's taking place. i got to get rid of these glasses. Mess me up. Are you guys glad to be here today? Dave Hooks, you fired up today? you got a word. I ought to let you come speak, and then you can tell us what's going on. But uh, anyway, turn to Romans chapter 8. Let's get going today. We've been in the book of Romans it's been a good time. It was great to have um, Brother Steve Pettit online with us last week. Um, Steve's doing better. He's never really been that sick, uh, but he just tested positive and so, but we were very thankful. I'm very thankful, and let me say this. Sometimes you get those moments that you go, what in the world? Stab, we'd already talked about this. Something like this was going to happen because the devil's really not happy about what's going on around here. I'm just telling you. 
And so we had already anticipated some of these things. But when Steve called me on Thursday morning, he goes, I'm just going to cut to the chase. I got COVID. Okay, Steve, we, we, we start tomorrow. What are we, what are we supposed to be doing? I'm thinking to myself, I wasn't saying it. I was just thinking it. But, you know, he came back and with Brian's help and our team putting it together, uh, Steve said, listen, let me just video this stuff. But let me tell you what God has done. Because we did it the way we did it, now we've got some other churches that are able to use those resources. We had several pastors that were with us that weekend that he said to me, I said, listen, we want to make this available to you. Would you be able to use this? We would love to use it. And so what we would have thought if something being terrible, it wasn't bad at all. Matter of fact, it was incredible. It was great. But we also have, now have that resource to be able to share with other churches that would like to be able to use that. Isn't that great? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Um, you know, growing old can be tough, can't it, Randy Jones? Yeah, y'all don't notice Randy's, Randy's getting older. He's getting a little, I, don't, I haven't noticed any gray hair yet. You got gray hair, Emily? Just a little bit. You don't use that coloring stuff, do you? Yeah. <laughs> Growing old is tough. Uh, how many of you are over 50 today? Raise your hand. Let me see. There's a few of you guys here. Um, you know, there's that moment in time that you come to grips with the fact that you're getting older. You know, you can't do the things that you used to do. You remember? You know what I'm talking about? Just look at me and shake your head. Just agree with me and make, you think, make me think, make me feel good about what I'm saying, okay? There's that moment in time that you, that you all of a sudden you realize you can't do the things that you used to do. And you got, there's some options. You can get discouraged about it. That's what you can. That's one of the things you can do. Or you can just be reminded of the fact that there's a better day coming. This old body that we're in wasn't made to last forever, was it? So I wonder what's next. And I wonder what God has planned. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 to this point. We've been talking about being justified, the fact that all of us are sinners. Man, listen, we deserve God's wrath and judgment, but God in his grace justified us through Jesus Christ by faith. We aren't made right with God because of the things that we do, the fact that you may come to church or you may memorize a verse, you may teach or you may volunteer, you even give some glasses or some shoes. That's great. That's great, but that is what saves us. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us and justifies us and makes us right with our Heavenly Father. But not only have we been justified as believers and followers of Christ, we're being sanctified and made into the likeness of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you remember what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 4 when he was calling his first disciples, he said, come follow me, come on, come hang out with me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And in that, in that little bitty statement, Jesus was saying, listen, you don't have to make yourself, but I'm going to make you. I'm going to make you into the likeness of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. But not only are we justified in being sanctified, but we're going to see today, we're going to talk a little bit about glorification. Because things aren't going to always stay the way that they are, but God's got some better plans up his sleeve. Um, what are y'all giggling about over here? What did I do now? It's freezing. Do what, baby? The vents right there will move. We got to get up and move. <laughs> Your wife, I don't know what in the world she's doing. What, baby, you can't be interrupting me. I'm in the middle of, I, this is important, okay? <laughs> Y'all ever had something like that happen, get interrupted by your wife in the middle of something? I mean, baby, this is important. <laughs> we fix to talk about Jesus. You're talking about cold air. 
be thankful for the air. One day in heaven, it will be, anyway. This whole earthly body, listen, is perfectly suited for here. It gets cold. It gets warm. But one day, God's got a new body prepared for us. It's going to be incredible. Romans chapter 18, chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, we're going to talk about this future glory. But you know what? It's so easy to get preoccupied with what's going on here, isn't it? The troubles of the world, the sufferings, the pain, the heartache. And all of a sudden, we lose sight of where we're headed. There's a lot to be said. You got to keep your eyes, you got to keep your eyes focused on Jesus because it's not, it's easy to find yourself in the middle of a valley and not know which way to go. The Old Testament talks about that. Talking about this present life, um, it's temporary, it's short term. The Bible refers to us as aliens and foreigners in this world. And I don't know how much of you have traveled outside of. United States, you travel to foreign countries, sometimes it's pretty easy to recognize, man, I'm, I'm, I'm different than these people. I'm a little bit, I don't look the same way. I'm a different color, bigger size. You know, I don't speak the same language. My culture's different. And I don't know about you guys, but, but I don't get, I'm not a homesick type of guy. Y'all home, anybody homesick around here? Jessica, you get homesick? You don't? <clears throat> I've never really been that homesick. I mean, I, I, I like to sleep in my own bed. I mean, a few, few days, okay, I'm ready to go home. But I remember being at camp when I was young. I it was early on, and it's about six years old. And I remember this kid. He's probably a preacher these days. Probably he's probably the one that made the song. But all he, he was homesick, and he kept crying out, "I, I want to go home." That's all I could hear all night. I want to go home. <laughs> somebody, would somebody help him out? Get him to the house. <laughs> but boy, there's a lot to be said about us as believers. I want to go home. I'm homesick. We're going to talk about that today. A couple of things that Paul talks about is he's going to mention. We're going to look at really two things today, comparison and a craving. Let's talk about the comparison to start off as we begin there in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. But before we do that, can we just pray for a moment? Let's talk to the Lord Father today. We've had an opportunity to sing some incredible songs about our future hope in you. Today, may we find something in your word that reminds us of the truth, the fact that we can hold on to, that reminds us of that future hope and the craving that we should have as believers and followers of Christ. Today is going to touch the heartstrings of some of us because, uh, Lord, we're involved in sufferings and difficulties and we're in the midst of it not in the past but right now I pray that you would uh, allow our eyes to be refocused today in our hearts to see what's what's next <laughs> and for us to cry out just as that kid did I want to go home I'm looking forward to that day bless us in the reading of your word in Jesus name Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Yes, this is what Paul said. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. The New King James Version says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which is being revealed in us. <laughs> He's comparing two things. Present sufferings of this world, the glory that's to come. I've sat down, I've thought about it, and I've come to a conclusion. There is no 
comparison. But in considering the realities of the present sufferings and the future glory, we're reminded that it's real. Scripture talks about it. And Paul, we, he, you, know, you know the verse, it says that I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And we're okay with, with the power of the resurrection. Yes, yes, I'm all about that. But when it comes to the fellowship of the sufferings, we don't really want anything to do with that. We just want to pass over it. But the reality is that as believers, we will experience sufferings and difficulties in this world. Some of you may be experiencing right now. When you think about the believers and the men and the women of times past that walk through times of difficulty, this is what it said in Hebrews chapter 11, the last part of verse 35 and following. But others were tortured, refusing to turn to God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Others were sawed in half. And we think we got it bad. Hmm. Others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats and destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this, they were too good for this world. They wandered over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes and grounds. Do you know that persecution see, see you, you may think persecution around here is somebody making fun of you because you're a believer. But there are people around this world that are being persecuted, not because you know, somebody's making fun of them, but there, there's actual physical persecution that's taking place all around our world today. People that aren't just losing limbs or losing um, um, eyesight or whatever it may be, but losing their lives, not just losing their jobs. People are losing their lives. There's persecution. There's also the coming, common sufferings of everyday life. You know, just because we love Jesus and we want to seek and follow him doesn't mean that we won't face heartache and pain. Doesn't mean that there won't be times of difficulty and suffering. We aren't exempt from accidents. We aren't exempt from, <clears throat> from physical issues taking place. There is physical suffering, mental suffering, emotional suffering. But what Paul is saying is all of this is pales in comparison to what's to come. In the believer, we're not just physical, emotional, and mental, but there's also spiritual Sufferings. I mean, how many of us have loved ones that we've prayed deeply for, people that are close to us, and we've prayed for them because we know the consequences, the earthly consequences of sin, but also we know what the Scripture has to say about the eternal consequences of sin. Some of you may be grieving, struggling because of wayward children. Some of you may be struggling spiritually, suffering because of a of a spouse that has walked away or rebelling against God. Maybe it's a parent or other family member or maybe a dear friend. Maybe there's even battles, struggles that you're having in your own faith, dealing with personal sins, and yet you've cried out to God and cried out to God, and just like Paul, oh, what a miserable person I am. How wretched who will save me from this life that's dominated by sin and, and death. And yet it's in those times of suffering and pain that God has a way of moving us towards the foot of the cross that we can come to learn and know him better. It was Peter. Peter in his writings in 1 Peter chapter 1 that said these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire test and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. We say this all the time. 
around here, faith isn't faith until it's tested. Yeah. Faith isn't faith until it's tested. I mean, I mean, it's easy to say I love Jesus. It's easy to say that I have a relationship with Jesus. But what do you do when your faith is put to the test? Romans 5, 3, Paul, prior to what he would write here, would say we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And listen, endurance is so important in the life in which we live. One writer would say this. There's a great lack of all Christians who have not suffered. For some flowers must be broken and bruised before they can ever emit any fragrance. You know, as I look on my own life, it's not been the, time, the times of, of great joy um, <clears throat> that I've learned the most about the Lord. But I've learned the most about the Lord in the valleys. I've learned the most about the Lord in the times of trouble and heartache and pain and suffering. And it's in those times that I've learned I've, I've learned things that I would never would. I've learned things in the darkness that I would never learn in the light. So Paul references the sufferings of the world, and I have to believe in my own mind that Paul is thinking back to the things that he himself had experienced up until this time. And he compares it to the glory. And that thought, that thought process there in the Greek, logizomai, means to calculate, it means to consider, it means to count, to reckon, to take into account. It's a mathematical thought process. And here's Paul, what he's saying, he says, look, I've run the numbers. I've checked it all out. I've calculated the sufferings of the present age and the glory that's to follow. And I've discovered this. There is no comparison. No comparison. There's a whole lot more glory to come than the sufferings that we will experience here as believers or followers of Christ. And when Paul was writing to the believers at Corinth, he would say somewhat the same thing there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for our present troubles, these things that we're walking through, the sufferings are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that we cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. You know, when you're walking through the heartache and you're walking through the times of suffering, doesn't it, I think we can all agree that sometimes it's hard to see through or past it. Are you with me? Sometimes it's like the suffering's never going to end. You're wondering, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Because I can't see it. <clears throat> and Paul says, pay attention to eternity. Think about heaven. Because one day, there's our future hope. Author Don Baker, who's a writer, tried to best explain what, what heaven was like in practical terms. that We might be able to understand it. And this is what he wrote in a book on heaven. Sounds pretty applicable for us today. <laughs> he said, there will be no more, no more down payment, no realtor fees, no closing costs or mortgage payments, no property tax or utility bills, no extra assessments or fear of foreclosure. I'm not sure if our place will be a single family residence, a condo, an apartment, or something altogether different. I am certain, however, that will be something that's far more superior than anything that we've ever known on this earth. All of that without maintenance or upkeep. Its view, the directions promise, in all directions, the view promises to be breathtaking. Its glitter and gold-paged streets will be polished to appear 
like transparent glass, and there will be magnif- they will be magnificent. Since there will be no pain in heaven, there will be no sorrow. Uh, since there will be, no, be no hospitals, there will be no death, there will be no cemeteries. Since there will be no sin, there will be no regret. Hmm. It's no comparison. It's no comparison when we think about the present sufferings to our future hope. There are some people that say, but you know, because of my faith, I shouldn't suffer. I shouldn't have to walk through times of difficulty because I love Jesus. It's not what the Bible tells us, is it? It's contrary to that. But I want you to see what Paul has to say. He talks about the comparison, but then he talks about the cravings or longing for. Look at there at verse verse 19. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. And so we have this picture of anticipation, this, this picture of, of waiting. It's like the birth of a child. Do you remember, remember the birth of your child and the waiting that day that, that they, they peeked out and said, here I am, you know. So much anticipation leading up to that day. And now we have creation waiting to be transformed and waiting to be liberated. And Paul would go on to write 20 and following against its will. All creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to a day when it will, be, it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait for eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as adopted children, including new bodies. He has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already had something, we don't need to have a, have a hope for it. But if we look forward to something you don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So here's, here's creation longing to see what's going to happen. Here's creation with a hunger for what's next. Looking at us to find out what's going to go on and, and talking about the resurrected bodies. Paul would, would talk about this in 1 Corinthians where he talked about our new bodies. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they'll be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but we will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as the natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scripture says the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last, last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, and then the spiritual body comes after. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man, just as we are now like the earthly man. He goes on to say that um, just like we are the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit that which will last forever. But let me reveal to you what's a wonderful secret. We'll not all die. We'll all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, the twinkling of an eye. When the last trumpet is blown, for the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. 
Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And Paul, when writing to the church at Colossae, would say in chapter 3, And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. And so all of creation is groaning and waiting for this time. But why? Look at the reason there in verse 20. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse, but with eager hope. The New King James Version says it this way, for the creation was subjected to the futility to futility, not willingly. In other words, they didn't ask for it. But because of him, God, is God's, who subjected it in hope. That word futility is really important here because it carries with it this idea of looking for something and not being able to find it. It's like your keys, your wallet. My son called me the other day, Dad, I, I, I can't find my wallet. Well, son, what are you going to do? I don't know. Well, buddy, you need to get down and pray about it. Dad, I did pray. It ain't working. What you have in your wallet, son? Uh, well, this and this and this. Well, maybe you didn't need all that stuff, you know. Went through all the process. Why do we have to do all this stuff? Man, I mean, you lose your wallet. You got all your stuff in the wallet, you know. You got to go through all the process trying to get new things. Then he calls me this past Thursday. Dad, I found my wallet. That's great, son. That's awesome. Everything in your wallet, everything's in my wallet. I guess the Lord figured out you needed it. But here's this idea of futility. Lost something, can't find it. Frustrating. And that's exactly where the earth is. Creation is experiencing now something that God didn't originally intend it to look like. Yet even though God is sovereign over everything, we live in a fallen, broken world that is full of the marks of sin. There's disease. There's death. There's decay because creation is under a curse. Back in the book of Genesis when Adam sinned, the, the Bible tells us that God said, He cursed is the ground because of you and all your life you'll struggle to scratch a living from it. So until this time, disease, death, and decay will mark our earth because the earth is up under a curse and it will not be removed until Jesus comes back. But he's coming back, by the way. He's coming back. And just as men are up under the, under the curse, so is the earth. All creation has been subject, subjected to this futility. And the Bible points out, though, that there's a day that's coming when there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth. I'm going to skip some issues really fast just because of time today. But I want you to go to verse 21 when it begins to talk about because as a result, there's a longing for what's next. Longing for what's next. Look at what he says in reference to creation. Longing for what's next in 21. The creation looks forward to the day when, when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. When man is glorified, creation will be glorified. Verse 22, we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. Creation groans. It groans. There's a word that's used in the Old Testament to describe and speak about the children of Israel. When God said, I've seen your afflictions and I have heard your groanings. I've heard your cries. Describes the woman in labor pains. 
that intense pain of giving birth and the contractions continue and get stronger and stronger and stronger until that baby is born. Are you with me? It's the same with creation, longing. Jesus, when speaking about the last days, when talking about those last days, he said that that intensity would increase. There would be a frequency in, in birth pains. But one day that's going to stop. The famines, the earthquakes, the wars and rumors of wars and nations against nations will get more and more and more. But there's coming a day when all of that will cease and Jesus comes back. Isaiah chapter 11 describes it this way, if you can picture it. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will lie down together and the leopard will lie down with the baby goat and the calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion and the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear and the cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat the hay like the cow and the baby will play safe near the hole of the cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in the nest of the deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord, and that curse will be lifted. John, when speaking at the Isle of Patmos, when he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos near the end of his life, would have a revelation from the Lord. Toward the end, the birth pains, and it was a vision that he saw, and this is what he said in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, coming down out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death and sorrow or crying or Pain and all of these things will be gone forever. You know the old song, we just coming out of Christmas, Joy to the World, and we sing that in reference to the birth of Jesus, but when Isaac Watts, its author, wrote that, he didn't write it about, he didn't write it about the, the birth of Jesus, but about the second coming of Christ. Listen at, listen at this verse that we don't ever sing at Christmas time. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings foe, far as the curse is found. So creation groans. There's a longing for because of the futility of being in sin and death and decay. But not only does creation groan, humanity groans as well. Look at what he says in verse 23. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. <laughs> Think about that. We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait for eager, for with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. When Paul, when Paul was speaking about our bodies, um, he didn't speak about it as something that was permanent, but something that was temporary. He even spoke about it in camping terms. Second Corinthians chapter 4, when we live in these earthly bodies or tents, tents, temporary, put them up, take them down, this temporary shell, we groan and sigh. 
It's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. I don't know about you, but it seems like the older I get, the faster time flies. You know, when you were young, it seemed like a birthday was just way on the other side. The older you get, it seems like birthdays get closer, 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 closer. I just had one of those. I got to have another one. James, in his letter, when he was talking about life, he said, life was nothing more than a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. I love what this one guy said. He said, life life is like um, you go from baby fat to pimples to wrinkles just that fast. (laughs) And you can't stop it. Can't stop it. But what it means for us as believers is, listen, is every day it's a step closer to heaven. What it means is, is every day it's a, step, it's a step closer to what's next. That future hope, that future glory. In verse 23, Paul would say, in believers, we groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. As, as, as believers, the Holy Spirit's not there, but he's here. He's here. And a privilege we have is to be able to experience the Holy Spirit and and it moves us, it transforms us from from that which we were to that which we will be. That's what it is, from anger to, to, to love, from jealousy to generosity, to joy, to peace, to patience. And that's not something, that's something we're looking forward to. But we can experience it now because of the the filling of the Holy Spirit and transformation in our in our lives. Man, look, I love this life. I love everything there is about it. But I have to tell you, there's a growing sense of what's next. I see you back there shaking your head, Kim. Yeah. There's a growing sense that there's something more that God has for us that he wants us to experience. Don't get tied up in the sufferings of this world and bypass that which is to come. It's so easy to do that. Paul would go on to say, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something you don't yet have, you must wait patiently and Confidently, don't give up. Endure. Be steadfast. Persevere. So Paul's been talking about being justified. He's been talking about being sanctified. But here it is telling us that as believers and followers of Jesus, we should look forward to that day when we will be glorified. No medicine. No wheelchairs. No hospitals. No nursing homes. Nothing but a perfectly restored creation. Paul, writing to the Philippians, would say this, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like our own using the same power which he will bring everything under his control. Can I, can I read a, I just want to read something to you to, to finish out today. Because sometimes we think we got it bad. Sometimes, Colt, we get to thinking, woe is me. You know, we're in the midst of suffering and we're walking through times of suffering. And, 
you know, we get angry and we get mad. Oh, God, why would you allow this to happen? And I mean, that's just normal. I think that's part of normal, the normal working out our faith and trying to figure it all out. But I want to read you a story that I found that I thought, I need to read this. It's a story that was written. It's a true story written by Philip Yancey of a young girl that he came in contact with. And uh, this, is what, this is what Philip wrote. He says that Martha caught my eye. It was the very first meeting I had at the hospital. Other people there had obvious signs of illness, thinning hair, shallow complexion, missing limbs, uncontrolled trembling, but Martha showed no symptoms. She was 26. She was attractive. I wondered if she, like me, had come with a friend. When it came to Martha's turn to speak, <laughs> she had told the group that she had contracted ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, that her father had died the same disease a year earlier, and her uncle had died a couple of years before that. ALS is rarely a hereditary, has hereditary connections, but, and very rarely attacks young women, but somehow she had defied the, the odds. ALS destroys nerve control. It first attacks voluntary movements such as control of the arms and legs, and it progresses to the, to the hands and feet. It goes on to impact the involuntary movements, finally affecting the breathing and then causing death. Sometimes a person's body succumbs quickly, sometimes not. My first meeting in the group took place in March, and at that time, Martha had arrived in a wheelchair. She could walk, but with great difficulty. And because of that, she had been fired from a job that she had at the local library. By May, Martha had lost the use of her right arm, and she could no longer use her crutches to walk. She operated the manual wheelchair, but with great, great difficulty. By June, she had lost control of both of her arms, and then she couldn't operate the controls on the new electric wheelchair that had been purchased for her. I began visiting Martha at the rehab center. I pushed her around the hospital, and then sometimes I would pick her up for group meetings, and I learned about the indignity of her suffering. I learned to check her toes before putting on her shoes because if I didn't, her turtles, toes would curl up inside of the shoe and get jammed. I learned to close her hand gently and guide it into the jacket. Otherwise, I realized that her fingers many times would get caught up in the sleeve. I had to watch for her dangling arm before I set her down. I learned that it isn't easy to position a 125-pound body of dead weight in a compact car. Martha needed help. She needed help every time she moved. During her, doing her hair, getting dressed, moving her pillow, cleaning her bedpan, she cried. And when she did, somebody else had to wipe the tears. When she had to blow her nose, somebody else had to hold the tissue. Her body was an utter revolt against her will, for it would not obey any of her commands. We talked about death. We talked about Christian hope. But I must confess that readily, the Christian hope and of eternal life, its ultimate healing and resurrection sounded as thin as smoke, especially when held up to somebody like Martha. She wanted not angel wings, but what she wanted was an arm that didn't flop to the side, a mouth that didn't drool, and a lungs that would not collapse. And she thought about God, of course, but when she thought about him, she could hardly think of God in the terms of love. She held out against any deathbed conversions, insisting that, as she put it, why in the world would she turn out, turn to a God of love? She wouldn't do that, especially out of fear. 
How could she love a God who would do, do this to her that would make her experience this pain and suffering? It became very clear around October that ALS would complete its horrible cycle and it would be quick. Martha, Martha soon had to practice breathing with a toy-like plastic machine. Maybe you've seen it. She blew into one end to make the little blue balls rise in the pressure columns. And between those gasps of breath, she talked about what she preferred losing first, her voice or her breath. Ultimately, she decided she would rather lose her lungs, that they quit. She wanted to die. She preferred dying to dying mute and able to express herself. Because of the reduced oxygen to her brain, many times she would fall asleep in the middle of conversations. But despite the logistical problems, she still managed to make one last trip to the favorite cabin in Michigan and to her mother's home that was nearby. She was making final preparations. She was saying her last farewells, and badly, she wanted to spend two weeks in those last days in an apartment that she owned in Chicago. She wanted to do that so she could invite friends over, one by one, to be able to say goodbye and come to terms with death on her own while she was lonely. But in the two weeks in her home, to do that posed a tremendous problem. How would she stay there? Government aid wouldn't keep her in the hospital, would only keep her in a hospital room, not a home, especially with the intensive care services that she needed to stay alive. Only one group in all of Chicago offered free and personal care, the care that Martha needed. It was called the Reba Place Fellowship of Evanston, Illinois. The Christian community, they adopted Martha as a project and began to volunteer to fulfill all of her last wishes. 16 women rearranged their lives, changed their schedules, divided into work teams and traded off babysitting duties with one another. They all moved in. They stayed with Martha. They listened to Martha complain. They bathed her. They helped her sit up. They moved her. They watched her all night long. They prayed for her. They loved her. They became available. They gave her a place. They gave meaning to her suffering. They, to Martha, were God's body. The Reba Place women also began to explain to Martha what Christian hope was all about. And finally, she had seen the love of God in the flesh. When God himself seemed far uncompassionate, cruel, she came to know God in Christ and presented herself in trust to the one who came and died himself for her sins. She did not come to God in fear, but she found God's love at last. In a moving service in Eveston, she gave a testimony as best as she could, and she was baptized. On the day before Thanksgiving in 1983, Martha died. Her body was crumpled. It was crumpled, it was misshapen. And atrophied. It was a pathetic imitation of its former beauty. When it finally stopped functioning, Martha left. But today, she lives in a new body. 
in wholeness and triumph. She lives because of the victory that Jesus Christ won and because of his body, the church, made that victory known to her. And if we do not believe that, if our Christian hope tempered by sophistication does not allow us to offer the truth to a dying, convulsing world that is indeed in need, we are just like what Paul said of all men most miserable. In Christ, we have ultimate hope. There will be a day when we will trade in this old body. And it will be for a new one. Praise the Lord. No more bad hips. No more bad knees. No more back pain. No more hearing aids. No more wheelchairs. None of that will be needed. But creation is God intended it. Man, there ought to be a sense of longing for what's next. Yet, boy, it sure is easy to complain about what's going on now. Who are we to think that we shouldn't experience suffering and pain? Who are we to think that God in his ultimate wisdom and understanding that if it comes our way, God's got a plan. But don't lose hope. Paul said, look, I've looked at it. I've, ex man, I've compared it. I've considered it all. And the present sufferings of this world is nothing compared to that which is to come. Would you pray with me? The older I get, the more I understand. Thank you, Lord, for the revelations. What a day it will be when your face I will see. But until that moment, may we eagerly anticipate that homecoming. Until that time, Lord, in the midst of our sufferings, whatever they may be, would you give us endurance and strength to withstand the challenges and sufferings that we may encounter. Father, may there be a sense of confident hope of that future glory that Paul talked about. Help us to be reminded of these truths, dear Father, and hold on to them. This is your word. Your word is truth. It is valuable. As we prepare to walk out these doors, Lord, I'm, I'm wondering how does this how does this impact the way that we're going to live in these days ahead? Help us to be your hands and feet to this community, to be an ambassador of your, your love. <laughs> Father, may you bless those in that Reba Place Fellowship. May we be people just like that, being your hands and feet to the broken, to the hurting to the dying, to the discouraged. 
for the person here today that doesn't know Jesus. What in the world would keep us from coming to the place to say, Jesus, not only do I want to know you, but I want to live for you. If you don't know Jesus today, even right now, you have the ability to cry out to him and to say, Jesus, would you save me? I want to trust you. Thank you, Father, for the reading of your word. May we be encouraged as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.